Since 1973, Tattoo Charlie's has been an established body modification studio in Kentucky. Featuring world-renowned artists and piercers, currently with locations on Preston Highway and in Lexington. A staple point in the tattoo community. Learn more at TattooCharlie's.com. Set up your appointment today at 7904 Preston Highway. Our tattoos are done while you wait. Hey, are you all in a band? Do you need merch for shows? By now I'm sure you've seen all the Metal Forge patches that are available, along with many more. Well, the printer I use for those is UKR Patcher. Check them out on Facebook and Etsy. They do awesome custom work and for extremely affordable prices for any band budget. Check them out, UKR Patcher on Facebook and Etsy. Hey everyone, do you play tabletop games like D&D and Pathfinder? Well, hit up Eric at Imagination Studios. Uh, they do custom printing for all your minis for gameplay. Don't forget, they're a licensed Reaper, Artisan Guild, and more printer and dealer. Hit up ImaginationStudios502.com for more info. That's ImaginationStudios502.com. E-M-A-G-I-N-A-T-I-O-N, Studios502.com. Presents Metal Fest Night, the Jeremy Wade No Cancer Fighting Weekend. 30 bands, two stages, two hellacious days. $15 per night or $25 for the weekend includes fishing and camping. Metal Fest Night, sponsored by Imperial Tattoos, the Bill TV Network, Dark Star TV, and Mike Taylor Sound. Hosted by Metal Forge Radio with special guest Cold Steel Rail, Shovelhead, You're the Gun, Two Pump Jump, Cross Joint, Overload, Juke Joint Revival, Fudge Knuckle, and SWP, Dustin Swagger, Nightshade, Celestial Serpent, Nothing's Wrong, Hidden Solace, Call Me Monster. Devil be my judge. Bastard sons of a Judas goat. Automalized Barry. Eat flat. Until the dead walk. Creature of exile. Eulogy of blood. Brainshaw. Metal Fest 9. At the Boondocks Event Center. Bringing havoc back to the farm. Friday, July 24th. Saturday, July 25th. In Shepherdsville, Kentucky. For more information, check it out on Facebook, Metal Fest 9, the Jeremy Wayne No Cancer Fighting Weekend. for tuning into the Metal Forge. I am Mark Jackson and I am your host. The premise of the show is pretty simple. Awesome interviews and awesome music. If you want to contact me, hit me up at metalforgeradio at gmail.com or visit the website metalforgeradio.com. And now, let's get this show on the road. 
What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning into the Metal Forge. It is Friday, July 10th, and I'm your host, Mark Jackson. Holy shit, how are you all today? I am doing well. Uh, just got some new ink over the uh, last weekend. A long weekend for me. It was awesome. Uh, check out the uh, the Facebook page if you want to see it. Um, today, my guest is Rod Mack, uh, Mr. Rodney Adams from E-Flat, Louisville Hooligan Legends, you know. Hell yes. Uh, a little bit of uh, punk uh, metal rap infusion from about the the mid to late 90s here in the Louisville, Kentucky area. Uh, total awesome dude, um, cryptozoologist. Hopefully you all will enjoy this uh, because I had a really good time. I actually got to meet in person uh, despite all of the... Uh, the COVID-19 stuff and everything. We were safe at, you know, social distanced and everything like that. So, but it was an awesome, awesome time. Uh, can't, I look forward to seeing those guys in just about two weeks here at uh, metal fest nine in the, uh, in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. Uh, you heard the, uh, ad at the beginning of the show and at the ends of the show. And I talk about it in the, uh, in the interview with Rodney as well. So, um, thank you to uh, the Patreon subscribers as usual. Um, Thank you to all of the people who tune in each week and listen. Uh, the subscriptions have gone up quite a bit, and the listens have gone up quite a bit. I appreciate all of that, uh, more than you all could know. Um, but, yeah, thank you all so much. I'm going to kind of keep it a little short here today. Um, yeah, I'm just, you know, living life, loving it, having fun, you know, getting new ink, uh, all that kind of stuff, you know. And you all should, too. Do it safely, though. Um, yeah. I appreciate you guys. Uh, this is Dickhead Jerk by E Flat. Like dirt. This is 
I'm being joined outside here with Rod Mack from E Flat. What's up, Lu- y'all? Louisville's hooligan legend, punk yep. band. Yeah, kind of a punk hip hop, whatever yeah. combo. And I, I guess I wouldn't even really call it hip hop, but more like punk rap, rap core, I guess, kind of. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing y'all for the first time in like 02 or 03. Yeah. And was just completely blown away with what I saw and I was just like oh my gosh and then actually later on you know playing more shows and stuff myself being able to play shows with you guys yeah. and it being an awesome deal but yeah as of the last few years you, you've all kind of went went your own separate ways a little bit yep. you, you've kind of not necessarily disbanded I guess but you yeah. know you only play a handful of shows a year yeah pretty much uh, special request type shows and you know we decided that we did the original thing long enough, and you know, a lot of our, uh, Todd and I and the drummer Stacy, you know, our kids are grown, but Tim Flaherty has just right. recently had a kid, so his his boy's like five, so he experienced the things that we already went through several years ago. Definitely, and it's definitely slows you down a little bit, you know. You get to raise children. <laughs> uh, so give everybody out there in Metal Forge Land a little bit of a rundown of you know, what E-flat is. Well, I guess E-flat originally was, uh, basically was, I'd, I'd been throwing the idea of, of crossing uh, metal and rap to those same guys since about 91, 92, but they didn't really bite. You know, they were all doing other things. They didn't really feel it. And then sometime around 96, I ran into them again, and we threw the idea around and started jamming at the end of 96. And uh, just kind of see what we came up with originally Tim Flaherty was playing bass right. and Todd on guitar and then uh, 
later on we picked up Eric Otto from Inhuman mm-hmm. and put him on bass, and that's the lineup we'll have right now. So it'll be Eric Otto, Tim Flaherty on guitar, and Todd on guitar as well. And, and Stacy on Stacey Hindu on drums. Nice. So yeah, pretty much the original lineup for our our big days. You know when we were yeah really yeah the uh, the classic lineup as mm-hmm. people would refer to it as. Yep. Uh, now, just to you know, just to preface everything, and I know everybody just heard the track that I just played. Um, it's not the same as you know the corns and lint biscuits of the world, right? You know, so it, it's I think it's got you know a little bit more you know the the metal's there, but I think there's a little bit more of the punk aspect mm-hmm. in there as well too. Definitely, I was a huge Suicide Tendencies fan. Um, big, of course, uh, a lot of bands have influenced me, but. Suicidal is probably one of my biggest uh, DRI, some of those bands. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you love, know, SOD. Oh, yeah. And, and those guys were deeply rooted in, in, in my influence. And then, you know, guys like Run DMC and Body Count, of course. Ice-T is just... Ice-T was... Body Count was probably the sole reason I decided that I needed to do it. Absolutely. Really? Yeah. Wow. It, definitely. When Ice-T came out with Body Count, I'm like, that's it. It's time because it's badass. Oh yeah, you know yeah, it's, it's still going strong. It's gangsta metal. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we played a show with a Scarhead once, Danny Diablo. Mm. He called it Thugcore, and that that was the best fitting description I could think of. That it's is, the, yeah, thugcore. I could buy that. <laughs> it was because, like hardcore and gangster rap mixed together. And you know, for a band like them to be still going out and doing something. You know, thirty years later as yeah. well. Yeah, there was some dormancy periods for them as well. But you know, to still yeah. be able to go out and and do some stuff—that's awesome shit. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. So it's it's been a while since anything has probably been written or released from you guys, because uh, here we are in 2020. Yep. You know, taking limited shows. You know, we're you're at a just over a 20-year career at this point. Yeah. So when you all would get together and write songs and stuff, how do you, how do you all do that? Do, what, explain the, the E-flat process to me. Basically, I was never a... Uh, sometimes I would show up with lyrics already written. Other times, they would show up with music already written, and I would just freestyle lyrics until I found something that I liked that fit. Right. And uh, I was known for constantly changing my words during shows because I would never actually write them down until we went to the studio. Nice. So I had the same premise, and the lyrics were basically the same, but they always varied a little bit. Right. So, the, yeah, you're just working out the the proper phrasing and, and exact yeah. message you want to... Yeah, pretty yeah. much. And, you know, I would experiment with different stuff, change it around, and sometimes the final version of the studio was a lot different than what you had heard live. Definitely. But uh, that's when it became official, I guess, you know. Yes, and I agree <laughs> with that, too. I, once it, I can toy with something as much as I want to live, but once it's, uh, once it's in... Stone. Yeah, once it's on tape, it's yeah. there. It's set in, it's, that's the way I intended that to be. Yeah. Granted, you know, the critique factor comes in, and I'm just like, uh, maybe I would have changed that if I. Yeah, right. But then again, I'm too, I'm too bullheaded to re-record anything. Absolutely. Now, we <laughs> it's did, like, once it's done, We it's did done. release a song uh, for our 20th anniversary, so in, in 97, we put out a, a song called Nevermind the Bullshit. Yeah. And uh, we just dropped it out on the internet on YouTube and promoted it a little bit and never really officially went on an album or anything. Nice. Um, So, in the writing process, we all come up with 
goofy ass titles for songs. Yeah. What's the most uh, goofy or offensive uh, working title you've ever had for a song? We had a song on our first album. It was hidden on track sixty nine. And it was called EYP, which stood for Eat Yo Pussy. <laughs> and it was just a joke song, really. It ended up being really popular. And a lot of people, well, still to this day, will bring that song up. Nice. And it was something we thought, kind of, you know, just filler, messing around, kind of left over in the studio. And, uh, you know, those are the songs that you don't really expect to really blow up like they do. Right. Sometimes. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's like Paranoid. It was probably written in 10 minutes, and it ends up becoming one of your all's most requested songs, I'm sure. Yeah, oh yeah. And to this day, people still bring that one up. So, uh, at Metal Fest, are you all going to be playing that? <laughs> We're not going to play that one. We are going to play a couple tracks off that first record, and um, we've actually got to teach the bass player how to play those, because he wasn't with us when we did those tracks. Right. So, um, one of the things is just getting him familiar with them, but we're going to play... Uh, Dickhead Jerk off of that first record, which was a song I wrote about an individual that I didn't like, you know, who used to date a girl that I was dating at the time. <laughs> ah. I, I, think we, I think every musician who is a lyricist has that same thing. Yeah. We all tend to do that. I do it all the time. You know, I've, ri- I've totally written songs about, you know. Mm-hmm. About whatever is going on in your life. Yeah. And what was funny is I used the word bitch a lot in that referring to a guy and and really his name was mitch but i didn't want to call him by his name so mm. i just called him bitch every time and, and so it just so happens to be that <laughs> it worked out pretty well <laughs> absolutely oh shit see yeah you know. so it's a little inside joke right at that point right which you know pull back the curtain a little bit on that which is cool oh yeah uh, so if you could have written a song or an album from somebody else what would it be? Let's see. It's that thing where you're like, God, I wish I could have written that. Uh, I'd have to say uh, there's a couple of Suicidal Tendencies tracks that feel like something that I should have wrote, you know, especially the ones off of uh, the Lights, Camera, Revolution album. The song Breakdown always sounded like something I would have wrote. And you know what? It was a lot that, like it. You us. say that and I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in fact, we're, we're going to do a medley at the... Uh, of, at the uh, show, it uh, starts out with Suicidal Tendencies uh, off the first record, the song called Subliminal. Yeah. And then we're going to break into uh, part of uh, You Can't Bring Me Down mm. and then jump into nice. Bury Me in Smoke from Down. Wow. And then back into You Can't Bring Me Down to end it. So. Dude, that's going to be killer. Gonna be I can't wait awesome. to see that. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite ones off of uh, the uh, Lights, Camera, Revolutions, Lost Again. Oh, yeah. Uh, I just yep. dig the... like that one and Alone. And that's a great album. It's really not a bad track on there. Of course, you had Robert Trujillo on bass then. Oh, yeah, that's, definitely. That's actually at the time when Ozzy stole him. He right. stole him from an infectious groove session. They were in the same building together. And he's right. like, hey, I want you to come play bass for us. So. And that and that was that. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I'll never forget, you know, that, that Metallica tour was mm-hmm. that. It was... Uh, uh, infectious Grooves and Metallica and like yep. Danzig and oh, stuff. Yeah. yeah. We're all playing that tour where they brought it outside all summer long that year in like 93. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. Crazy stuff. It's good stuff. So, what is the allure to music for you? Like, why are you a musician? It, it's always been a, uh, almost like a driving force, uh, me being ADHD and a little bit, um, I guess, 
always having to do something. So music was always one of those things that kept me going, and I was always singing and always doing songs. And uh, uh, there was no musicians in my immediate family, but I, I had the knack for it. So right. uh, I was drawn to it. I remember started playing. My parents would ground me to my room, and I would go in there, and I had a little a little organ in there, and I would play all the keyboard tracks off of songs on the radio. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it, it just kind of hooked me. That was probably age 10 or 11 then when I started doing that. And when hip-hop came out, I, I figured out how to scratch from Grandmaster Flash. And, and really? on the first record, I was actually the DJ and the singer. Oh, wow. Which was pretty rough, because I was actually queuing up vinyl records. I had marked my records with markers and things, so I knew where the spots were at. That's so crazy. I'd be queuing up a track live, and during the breaks, oh, it seems pretty complicated. <laughs> oh, I guarantee it. They get but a it, lot easier nowadays. Yeah, definitely. It's it, you know, because everything you know, a lot of times they'll have the one track deal. Yeah. You know, where it's one track per yeah. final, right. and makes it a little bit easier. Whoop, oh yeah. Kick the table, Mark. <laughs> um, do you listen to yourself musically? I do. Um, there's. There's certain songs where I'll listen to it and it'll drive me nuts because I didn't like my voice that day. Right. Or uh, uh, we did one album when I was really sick and was, you know, pushing a cold. And I ended up sounding really raspy and cool. And I ended up, on my next record after that, I ended up utilizing more of a lower tone. Right. On that record. And, and that and I got some criticism from, from Victory Records. Uh, the CEO of Victory Records didn't like my vocals. He said my vocal voice was too high. So I purposely changed it to show him that I could do whatever I wanted. And, right. And that's when we ended up, you know, finding things where I started really tackling the hardcore screaming and uh, because of you record. Nice. 2001, so. That's awesome. Um, yeah, anytime I think you can take a criticism that, that you know, it's it, not everything has to be a negative. Right. With that. Right, yeah. And I think that's what a lot of musicians, they, if... If they take a criticism or get or receive a crit- criticism from an, a record executive or something, well, they don't they don't play; they just listen and stuff yeah. like. That. And that's not always the case because you know that that could be always one of the things of where you could, you know, you could take that and say, "All right, well, may, let's try it a different way." Oh yeah. And then you know, as right. you said, you know, you ended up liking it a lot better. Yeah, I ended up uh, utilizing more of my my lower range. And then in 2009, I had sinus adenoid tonsil surgery, mm. which actually brought my voice down about half an octave and made it where I could sing better. Oh, wow. And so our, our last official E-flat record that we did without Tim, because Tim was already fully in the hot action cop at this point, and the last two records he didn't participate, but uh, I was able to actually go into vocal ranges that I was never able to go to before because my voice actually changed after my surgery. And Definitely. It, and it went lower. Right, so right. Gave me and about plus, half as you, octave in each direction. And plus, as you, naturally, as you get older, anyways, yeah. your voice drops uh, even even lower as well. So. Right. Yeah. That's why so you, sometimes things just come out of left field, you know. And I had to learn how to sing again. Right. Because my voice sounded different to me, and it actually was different. It was lower, so it was weird. But uh, blessing in disguise. Uh, yeah, absolutely, it is, and you know, because it's like one of those things, and. Where you probably didn't get any of the criticism like James Hetfield would have got. Right, right, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, having to relearn how to sing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I could, yeah. That's, it's hard to do already mm-hmm. to be a vocalist and then run into all of the 
the hurdles that you have to jump through for that. Yeah. And then, you know, having to relearn how just, to do your yeah, trade. Just learning to sing, period. Like, uh, you know, our first record, we would do back-to-back shows Friday and Saturday night. And by Saturday, I was losing my voice because I was pressing it all out of my throat. Right. I didn't know how to use my diaphragm, so I, I had to teach myself the proper techniques to not harm my voice. I completely get that. Yeah. Uh, I'll push it so hard at a practice one night where I'll, I will feel yeah. what I call roached out. The, the crunch in, yeah. your, in your vocal cords. And yeah. the throbbing of your vocal cords yeah. and stuff. I totally get that. Absolutely. So you have some interest outside of music as well. Yeah. You are also a cryptozoologist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a Bigfoot hunter. Uh, I don't know. Do you do other things than Bigfoot? Because I know I pretty much will research anything paranormal. Um, I've been into spirit stuff since it was since it wasn't even cool. Uh, I was doing ghost hunts back in the early two thousands with VHS. Oh wow! Know, um, before anybody was really doing it um, and catching things on audio and and uh, going through all the weird stuff that happens when you go to a haunted site where all your batteries will die immediately. Oh like, wow! You know that you've just charged them all up. Waverly Hospital did that to us in 2000. I was in there with a uh, VHS, you know, Super 8. Right. And uh, two brand new batteries, and both of them were dead within five, ten minutes. It was that, like it just sucked the energy out of my batteries. That's crazy. And uh, yeah, I could feel you could feel the power in that place. That place is most definitely haunted. Uh, so, what is the the most interesting thing you've ever seen, uh, paranormal wise? Uh. I'd seen a full-body apparition when I was young. I uh, actually seen a couple um, throughout my lifetime, but and those were pretty interesting. But I, I guess the full-blown uh, Sasquatch encounter when I actually saw Sasquatch, uh, which is the story I ended up telling on Travel Channel for the show "These Woods Are Haunted." Right. And uh, that was pretty much a life-changing event. Uh, you can't unsee that, and it's hard to really relay feeling you get when you realize that something you always thought was maybe somewhat legend is actually real. Right. Um, cognitive dissonance is the term they use in psychology to explain how your mind tries to cope with something that goes against everything you've ever known. So initially you go through phases of denial and try to give explanations for things that, because you can't come up with any other reason why it exists. So Right. Uh, so, how much time do you spend uh, doing that? Doing that, uh, quite a bit. I used to do it for about the last seven years. I was doing it pretty much all the time after work. Right. Because I remember work. seeing you doing stuff on Facebook where you yeah. where you went down to like uh, Rough River and yeah. all and Cumberland and all that all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, pretty much every chance I get, and of course now I bought a house, and the reason I bought the house was there was some Bigfoot activity there. Really? And when I looked at the house while it was vacant, somebody had drawn the face of Bigfoot up in my loft on in one of the window panes with, like, some of that white frost stuff. And when I saw the, the face that they had drawn, I knew they saw it because they drew it properly. Wow. Uh, a lot of people will, will draw those things more like a gorilla because they don't really know that they don't look like that, but they actually look more human. Right. At least the one I saw did. Um, Harry and the Hendersons is probably closer than anything, but a little meaner looking version of that. Definitely. Uh, so they were pretty dead on with what what they had done. Yeah, it's 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 kind of manly looking, and uh, it looked like a very large man, no hair on his face, hair all over his body, very large, flat nose, very pronounced brow, and a, and a high head, 
Yeah. Like a crown. Yeah, and they're... But, you know, the, the more I research things trying to give it a flesh and, blown, a flesh and bone scientific explanation the Stranger Things got, and I've changed my opinion on what I believe these things are, and I don't believe they're a missing link type creature. I believe they are paranormal. Really? They're, there's something... They're able to do things that I can't really explain. Um, basically disappear almost at will. Um, super intelligent. I mean, they're only known when they want to be known. Right. Uh, they could sit in the shadows for months and you'd never know they were there. But, Interesting. And it seems like only certain people they pick to communicate with. And I don't know if it's because they are picking up on a frequency of that you're a conduit for that type of activity or what. And I, I kind of think that that might be it, and I've always been that way. I've often thought that UFO activity was the same way, that it's yeah. a... Absolutely. Uh, like a, yeah. And in fact, I think they're all related at some point. Right. Well, see, and that's a, that's been an, uh, an argument on yeah. um, back into the music aspect of things. Yeah. Why uh, people like uh, Dave Murray and Adrian Smith and Kirk, uh, Kirk Hammett and James Hetfield, when they do harmonized stuff yeah. and not look at each other, it's not necessarily because it's a practice thing. It's because it's a shared wavelength. It's like a wavelength, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I believe you tap into a force... Uh, when you're really in a creative moment and it really kicks in, I don't really have to tell my other members how to pick this up. They just pick it up. Right. And then I adapt to what they're doing and I'm able to channel my things differently. But it's almost like it's it's like an unspoken communication, uh, almost like a ESP type. Uh, right. You get. And when you spend a lot of time with people, I believe you connect on that level anyway. Absolutely. Uh, and, of course, you know, so some people are, they already experienced that out of the gate, oh, yeah. which is interesting. Right. You know, because it's like, it's like you've ever met somebody and completely known them oh, yeah. your entire lives. Yeah, the, one of the guys that's on the show, These Woods Are Haunted With Me, um, which originally was called Terror in the Woods on Destination America, and they moved it to Travel Channel and changed the name. Right. And uh, they flew me to Philadelphia to film the episode, and uh, it was a really crazy flight there was a northeaster or nor'easter what they call storm sitting on the east Mm -hmm. coast at the time so we kept trying to land in philadelphia and they diverted my landing three times it was some of the worst turbulence i've ever felt in my life because the winds were coming straight at us 70 miles an hour down the delaware river because that was the edge of that nor'easter oh wow and it it was so bad that i actually didn't know if i was gonna make it off that flight Uh, there was one time where i felt the plane drop over 100 feet just just straight drop. like that. Wow. Yeah, and uh, so the third the third attempt, they diverted and took us to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we right. landed there and, and to wait the winds out. And as I'm sitting there talking to a guy, the guy overhears me and he walks up and he says, "I'm also on the show. I'm I'm here to do an interview as well." And, and my episode also happened in Red River Gorge. Really? So two of us didn't know anything about each other, had encounters within six miles on a map of each other. Wow. And. I've been to visit him a couple of times this year. He's sitting on some kind of crazy paranormal conduit there. I mean, he has the full uh, trifecta. He's got ghost activity, he's got Sasquatch activity, and he has UFO activity all in his area and all documented. Wow. And it's and amazing. It's, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like the actual uh, the thing that... Uh, Ray Stantz says 
and and I don't mean to make you know because it's a comedy. Yeah. But I, there is a lot of seriousness in in the Ghostbuster thing. Absolutely. With where he says you know the building is is sitting in a at a uh, cross point. Absolutely. Uh, uh, a uh, paranormal uh, like cross point. A, like a paranormal tuning. What fork. I call a uh, <laughs> a conduit. Yeah. Like a, like a special and which I believe builds Stark's places like that. He's sitting in the gorge, and the gorge is very highly magnetic anyway. There's a lot right. of iron ore in that ground. Right. But whatever's going on there, it's... I mean, when I show up at his house and we sit together, and I guess it's, we also feed off each other, but the hairs on my arm stand up when I'm in his presence, and the same thing happens to him. And uh, he called me just a couple of days ago and said, ever since the last time you were here, he said, you were right. I said, things are going to go apeshit when I leave. And they have. For two straight weeks, he's not really been able to sleep. He's had crazy activity every single night since I left his house. Interesting. Um, yeah. Is yeah. there anything that you have done uh, with your paranormal research where you've been on location and you've just had to say, okay, that's enough. i got to get I got to get the F out of here. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And um, you just pack up the car and go straight home and... Yeah. Whether it be middle of the night, no matter what. And that's something else that I attribute, that I think, when I said that Sasquatch has powers that we don't understand. One of those powers, I believe, is the ability to influence the way you feel. And they could be using infrasound to do this. But there's times when I go in the woods and people describe it as being zapped. Basically, you lose all energy right. uh, sometimes you're disoriented there's times where I would have been in the weird woods and I know that I was felt great had a good night's sleep and I got so tired that I actually sat on the ground and fell asleep against a tree for about an hour Oh wow. because I, I had no energy left in my body and these are in areas where I have a lot of activity um, something's going on there that, that I'm not able to explain fully um, but it's, it's very fascinating do you believe that um with like the psionic like ability, is it something like uh, that? They're there go kicking the table again. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. Uh, do you believe that it's something in the regard of somebody like a uh, somebody like a medium, like they have like a yeah, in a way. And I, and, and I always wonder if, if certain people that they pick are those type of people because I am one. Uh, I'm basically an empath. I'm probably a medium. I just try to shut that part of me off because it. it, it my wife is a medium as well. Oh, okay. And we sleep with the TV on at night because if we don't, uh, I don't sleep. Understandable. I, I have crazy vivid dreams and, and just tons of, of things that keep me awake all night. And uh, it's, it's, Something's open in, in my mind that and, and I almost feel like they, they know. Right. And I always felt like the reason why I've had Sasquatch activity happening since I was a kid, which... For many years, I didn't know what it was until I started to really research what was going on and realized that there was things that happened to me as early as age seven that I can now say was probably the same type of Bigfoot activity. I just didn't know what it was. Definitely. Yeah, where I thought it was just people messing with me. But I'm in a place where there really shouldn't be any people. Right. And, and why would they be there messing with there? me and not let themselves be known and just disappear for no reason? You know, things of, things of that nature, so... Uh, is there anything that you wish to accomplish uh, with, with cryptozoology? You no, know, basically, I'm 
Because a lot of people will say, oh, you know, I'm an expert. or I would say that I'm not even close to an expert, uh, but I'm very familiar with behaviorisms and, and cause and effect and, and of why certain things and the signs that they may leave while they're there. Um, and I've taught myself how to discover the signs and, and really understand what's going on. But I really just would like some answers, and I feel like the longer I research it, the weirder it gets and the more further from the truth that I actually find myself. So uh, there's a lot of unknowns there. Definitely. You really can't. I can't really haven't been able to lock down any certain thing and say this is why, this is where they're at because I've found that they can be almost anywhere With and, and they seem to like really heavily wooded areas. They seem to like, uh, you know, things that, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in the country. Or as a kid, I always believed they were only on the West Coast. I didn't realize they that I've always been Yeah, everywhere. Right. And uh, which makes you wonder, you know, how are these things everywhere? Right. Uh, is there another dimension that we don't know about that they're able to travel in through? It's a very good possibility. We don't really know much about any of that Definitely. other than theories. Absolutely. So I guess my goal is to really... To find out. To get some answers. Yeah. Know, and, and put it out there for people and say, you know, uh, if this is happening to you, this might be why. Give me a call. Maybe I, don't, maybe I can tell you what's going on. Right. And, of course, at the end of the episode and, and in the uh, description and everything, we'll have links to everything. Yeah. Uh, so that anybody who has had any kind of uh, experience or anything, they can get a hold of you as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, because that's, that's always something I've been more interested in. And, yeah. you know, just would like to get more in depth with yeah going and, forward in my life you know and I finally came to terms that for some reason I've been picked to receive these messages for most of my life whether it be from the paranormal or from other cryptids but I don't really know that they're not all connected in some way or form and in fact I found the show Hellier on Amazon Prime which is really just kind of tied everything together for me and, and those guys were drawn in initially they were ghost hunter guys they, they run the international traveling paranormal museum out of Cincinnati right and somebody emailed him and said there's these creatures coming out of the mines in Kentucky and they look like little naked children and they thought it was a joke they went and investigated it and never could find the guy that sent the email never could figure out where he was at but as they went to investigate this they came across some other strange phenomena that were happening that was not really related you know a Bigfoot type activity and, and paranormal activity all in these same hot spots and it, it's like they kind of get drawn into this uh, wormhole uh, and you never wow. know where you're going to end up you know there's days where I'm out there recording Bigfoot sounds and I'm picking up disembodied voices in the middle of the woods and I have no idea why but I have some audio of some really strange things like that interesting uh, yeah I mean you, Just there's a night the where I was convinced there was a bunch of little female children in the woods behind me laughing to the point that I jumped up and went and looked around for the two females that were at the camp and they were both asleep so I had no explanation for why I heard a female voice at that time wow so strange things happen you know I don't know it's it's, it's a whole it's, other dimension of weirdness it when is. you get in there it, it is um, but again as I said you know at, uh, in, the, in the description below uh We'll have some links up there. So yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll 
I'll, I'll put up my YouTube page and my email address, and my, I have a Squatchers page. Definitely. People they can get a hold of. All right, so this is uh, what I like to think is the fun part of the interview, because we got business out of the way. Now yep. this is about Rodney. Okay. Rod Mack, you yep. know. Um, do you have a favorite film? Uh, let's see. Probably one of my top favorite films of all time has to be Return of the Living Dead. And I just don't know why. It, it, it was just, that film had it all. It had zombies, it had horror, it had comedy. It had a really good soundtrack, right? And and it's on Hulu right now because oh, I almost I, I I was about to hit play on it earlier. And it was in Louisville. Well, at least part of, part of it. There was right. a one scene filmed at Eastern Cemetery. Which, yes, which I've also researched. Well, that was the one scene that was filmed there, but right at the gate. Yeah, right. But the it actually takes place in Louisville, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, so. And at the end, they blow up Louisville. Yeah, yeah. But it was the rest of it was filmed on in L.A. on a soundstage. So. Right. Uh, of course, it is. Uh, do you have a favorite food? Uh, let's see. Favorite, I would have to say probably some really good fresh seafood. Um, I like calamari, shrimp, fish. You know, I'm, I'm a big shellfish guy, scallops. Nice. Any of that stuff. I, I, lo- I, I love, love shellfish. Yeah. I'm not too big on the calamari myself. Yep. you got to have the right, it's got to be done right. Yeah. There's good calamari and then there's rubber shit. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And finding the good calamari is the key. Yeah, well, I mean, you also, uh, you know, yeah. eight, nine hundred miles from the coast right. in, in one direction yeah. and 2,000 from the other, so it's yeah. kind of rough. Some of the best calamari around here is actually Shogun. You get a calamari steak, kalachi oh, wow. style, and it, I mean, you can't even, if you didn't know it was calamari, you wouldn't know. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, what is your greatest achievement as a musician? Uh, I would have to say... Being able to actually tell everybody what I was going to do, and that for years nobody believed me, and, and then doing it, uh, you know, coming to fruition and saying, "Yeah, I'm a little white boy from J-Town, but I'm going to go make a rap record," and, and I did, and I had a record deal. That's before E Flat. I started out as a hip hop artist, right? And was signed to Seller Records, which was a Sony subsidiary in Chicago. Really, in '94. Uh, was that part of the time uh, when Sony was signing up? Uh, you know the deal imprint labels imprint labels yes. just to claim a tax write off on I think so because they the, ended up we ended up getting shelved and they they never really released, released us properly that's how believe it or not you know m- most people don't know this but mm-hmm. I'm a huge Motorhead fan oh yeah <laughs> yeah me too and uh no everybody knows that yeah, I yeah absolutely <laughs> I yeah. mean I just got the ink on my arm to prove it are you in the Motorhead group that my buddy Ramsey Tolls in you probably know Ramsey I don't know. It's got a nice Motorhead page on Facebook. Really? Yeah. I'll have to look it up for mm-hmm. sure. Um, but they were signed to WTG, which yeah. is a Sony subsidiary, and did the same thing to them where they basically were just there to be a tax write-off. Yeah. So they could claim the loss on their taxes. Oh, that was the late 80s, early 90s phase of their career. Yes, but, yeah. yes it was. Mm-hmm. Four-person Motorhead. Yeah, <laughs> which some of their best music actually came out during that phase. Or, oh, it, or oh absolutely. Uh, well, was that, that wasn't one of them. It was them. after that. Uh, 1916. 1916. Yeah, 1916 was one of them. That song, I'm in love with rock and roll. Yeah. It's probably one of my favorites. I think it's on that record, isn't it? Uh, that's on rock and roll. Yeah, that's yeah. on rock and roll. Yeah. And, yeah, and that is, what is the one on, there's one really killer song on 1916 that I just always uh, turn up when I hear it. Uh, uh, one to Sing the Blues is always really that good. That was pretty uh, good, Ramones. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. Ramones is on that album. Yeah, there's a couple of those records. Yeah. Uh, 
those tracks that they did that, that are just, you know, they were really good music. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We all have Spinal Tap moments yeah. uh, in our musical careers and most of us in life, you know. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, do I'm, you have a distinct Spinal Tap moment that you would like to tell everybody out in Metal Forge land? Well, let's see. When you mean Spinal Tap moments, do you mean like just really stupid, retarded the, humor? Or? Yeah, the, the stuff that, you know, you just say, this cannot be... This cannot be fucking happening. Yeah. Well, there's been quite a few. Uh, when we opened it for Kid Rock at the Toy Tiger, I actually had in my possession a couple of Kid Rock albums that were only released in very limited quantity. Right. Uh, one of them was called The Polyfuse Method, which most right. of those tracks he ended up redoing on History of Rock. Oh, it's changed them. But um, Kid Rock wanted that record so bad he tried to steal it from me. <laughs> So, he didn't even have it? No, he didn't even have a copy himself. I had to send Kenny Olsen from Twisted Brown Trucker on the bus to get it back for me. Oh, my god! And Kid Rock was like, my bad, dude. And he was like, dude, I was going to keep it. And he told me, he's like, dude, I ain't even got a copy of that. So I ended up making him a copy of it. And, uh, you know, but, yeah, I mean, Kid Rock didn't, when, when he played in Louisville, he was already big, but right. not here. And right. uh, we showed up with a couple hundred people, and he showed up with really no fan base they didn't advertise him properly he made 200 bucks to play that gig at the tiger oh my gosh in fact he'll still talk about it today in interviews and was so pissed off about it but we ended up having the time of our life in the party in the ramada Inn across the street for like the next day and a half nice <laughs> the, the tiger oh Louisville man. landmark oh man uh might as well shout out to trey for that absolutely you know? and and well actually weirdly enough the guy that put us on that bill was spotlight it was billy billy hardison oh gosh is he put shout us out to billy yeah. i've worked with billy several times i love times. billy man he, yeah. he really done he, he really that was our breaking moment you know that's what really put us on the map and and uh todd's ex-wife at the time knew him pretty well and said hey you need to check these guys out they're about the only band in town that's going to fit kid rock right and we absolutely probably were at that time. Probably so. Yeah. Because you're talking, that was uh, probably... It was 98. Yeah, Devil yep. Without a Cause era for yep. Kid Rock. And yep. Yeah, you all probably would have been the only game and, uh, in town for that. And I still remember Uncle Cracker at the time was his DJ. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. Was called Cracker then. And Cracker was amazed because I, that's when I had my one Technic 1200 and I was queuing up songs during the breaks. And he's like, how in the fuck are you pulling this off? I said, man, it, a lot yeah. of practice. He you got said, it. And he said, you're hey. not even using a 1200. It's like a an off-brand technique, you know, like a lower model. Right. Well, I mean, you got to work. That's the thing, you know. It's not about the quality of instrument or anything yeah. like that. It's, it's about, about learning how, your instrument. It's about learning it and how you do yeah. it. You are anybody who does anything is going to find the way that fits them. Oh yeah. And you know, you could play an absolute dog shit sounding bass guitar or yeah. an absolute shit sounding amp. But if you make that for you, oh yeah, and and you get that to the specs that fit you, absolutely, it, you're, you, it's golden at that point. One of the things the fights I always have with other musicians is a lot of us are really, they're really good musicians, way better than I am. Is musicians get stuck in a realm where they want to make very complicated music. The only problem is the only people that appreciate it are other really good musicians. Right. So a lot of people forget it's simple sometimes way better it's really all about a catchy hook and repetition and, yeah. a, and a groove I mean if you got a groove and a catchy hook and you can divide that factor by three you're looking at a hit song definitely <laughs> uh, that is a hundred percent right yeah uh, every every stretch of the word yeah I I will say that there's mathematics involved threes all the magic songs are divisible by three their timing everything yeah it's pretty amazing 
Absolutely. It even goes back to like Tesla and some other things that he said that three was pretty much the divine number that mm-hmm. that really made everything. Definitely. Uh, this is the morbid question. Yeah. I always, you know, I like to hear people's answers to this. All right. If heaven or hell exists, what do you want to hear when you arrive where you think you're going? Let's see. I would say I probably want to hear, um, yeah, there's, there's been a couple of times. If I was going to heaven, I would think it would be like, you know, possibly a, uh, a Stairway to Heaven track. Because I would picture that as... But that song also has the other dark undertones. But Very much. I'd say if I was going to hell, it, it would still probably have to be the classic Highway to Hell by ACDC. Absolutely. Because I always felt like that that's, that's what I was on. And when I heard that song, I just kind of jumped on board and went driving. Right. <laughs> and that's when you kick it. It's, you know when it, you the lights go out. Yep. And then you kick open the door, and that's what you hear. Bam. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'm going to go out in style. Well, hell yeah. Course, I, think we, I think we all are. Of course, Bon Scott is the only singer of ACDC. Brian Johnson was just a... Uh, <laughs> I liked Brian's first two records. I like some of the stuff that Brian does. First two or three records. Definitely. Uh, not too... You know, as being a horror movie fan, you know, not yeah. too big. It's still not too big on uh, Who Made Who. No, I, I did like a few tracks. I liked the fact that I could listen to listen to uh, ACDC the whole time I was watching the movie. Oh, yeah. And that's that, still probably one of my favorite Stephen King movies. Really. Definitely. Uh, so, Rodney... Uh, I would love to do that and see tonight or tomorrow and see what's going on with it. Yeah. I'll get a good cut for me. Hang on. Yeah. Right, right. So, Rodney, tell everybody out there how we can get a hold of uh, you for the cryptozoology and E-flat. How can people hear more E-flat? I never uh, we're on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com, and I think it's slash E-flat rocks probably. Um, anyway, if you look up E-flat, Louisville, Kentucky, on SoundCloud, you'll find us. Definitely. Um, if you want to find me in particular, I'm on YouTube under Rodney Adams, um, and my email is Rodney is cool with a Z, Rodney is cool at Gmail. You can find me under YouTube that way and under you know anything awesome. Google related. Awesome. So. Uh, you're getting back together, Metal Fest 9, uh, July 24th and 25th yep. uh, at the Boondocks Event Center in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. Yep. Uh, are y'all playing on Saturday? We're playing on Saturday. We're going like right at dark, so we got about the best spot you can get, 8.40 oh, to about 9.10. There you go. take a few. And I'm going to look forward to seeing you guys there. Yep. And uh, everybody needs to stay tuned on the Metal Forge because within the next two shows, I will be giving away a pair of free tickets. And you for guys that. don't want to miss this. There is no events going on like this this summer. Hell no. Due to the state of affairs, you're not going to get 38 bands on a bill. So. Right. Come They're out. Even if you don't like all the bands, you will like one or two of them. I guarantee it. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and you will uh, you will be able to wear your PPE and all your safety stuff, sanitize, all That's that. Right. There's, yeah. uh, it's $15 for the uh, each day or 25 for the or 25 weekend. 25 for the weekend. And you can camp, uh, BYOB, and have an awesome time. Rodney, sir, yeah. I love you, man. Thank you. I Mark, appreciate meeting you, up with you. I'm really glad and you reached out to me. Definitely, and I'm so looking forward to seeing you guys live. I can't wait, man. I can't wait to see you there. Uh, awesome. Thank and, you, man. And you guys either. Make sure you guys come find me if you come out. Definitely. <laughs> hey, and uh, come find me 
as well because I'm going to have a booth set up where you're going to be getting some Metal Forge keychains nice. and some patches and some other uh, some oh, other yeah. band merch like Surviving Thalia, Overload, oh, yeah. all that stuff. Uh, so come on out. Have a good time. Love those guys. Definitely. Mike, Mike Taylor. I love Absolutely. Mike. Hearing all the bitching and complaining Trying to keep from drowning but barely maintain I need a break for a minute Won't you people just quit? It's stupid Never mind the bullshit Never mind the bullshit Since 1973, Tattoo Charlie's has been an established body modification studio in Kentucky. Featuring world-renowned artists and piercers, currently with locations on Preston Highway and in Lexington. A staple point in the tattoo community. 
Learn more at TattooCharlie's.com. Set up your appointment today at 7904 Preston Highway. Our tattoos are done while you wait. Hey, are you all in a band? Do you need merch for shows? By now I'm sure you've seen all the Metal Forge patches that are available, along with many more. Well, the printer I use for those is UKR Patcher. Check them out on Facebook and Etsy. They do awesome custom work and for extremely affordable prices for any band budget. Check them out at UKR Patcher on Facebook and Etsy. Hey everyone, do you play tabletop games like D&D and Pathfinder? Well, hit up Eric at Imagination Studios. Uh, they do custom printing for all your minis for gameplay. Don't forget, they're a licensed Reaper, Artisan Guild, and Mord printer and dealer. Hit up ImaginationStudios502.com for more info. That's ImaginationStudios502.com. E-M-A-G-I-N-A-T-I-O-N, Studios502.com. Presents Metal Fest Nine, the Jeremy Wade No Cancer Fighting Weekend. Thirty bands, two stages, two hellacious days. Fifteen dollars per night, or twenty-five for the weekend, includes fishing and camping. Metal Fest Nine, sponsored by Imperial Tattoos, the Bill TV Network, Dark Star TV, and Mike Taylor Sound. Hosted by Metal Forge Radio with special guest Cold Steel Rail, Shovelhead, You're the Gun, Two Pump Jump, Cross Joint, Overload, Juke Joint Revival, Fudge Knuckle, and SWP, Dustin Swagger, Nightshade, Celestial Serpent, Nothing's Wrong, Hidden Solace, Call Me Monster. Devil be my judge. Bastard sons of a Judas goat. Automalized buried. Eat flat. Until the dead walk. Creature of exile. Eulogy of blood. Brainshaw. Metal Fest 9 at the Boondocks Event Center. Bringing havoc back to the farm. Friday, July 24th. Saturday, July 25th. In Shepherdsville, Kentucky. For more information, check it out on Facebook, Metal Fest 9, the Jeremy Wayne No Cancer Fighting Weekend. <laughs> 